oh, you've seen my fanny more times than my husband has. <laughs> I was just like, man. <laughs> and everybody else didn't know where to look. Welcome to Sick Babe, the podcast from my bed to yours. Here we'll be chatting about all the things that it means to be invisibly sick or disabled, chronically ill, whatever words you choose. We'll be talking about everything from tired sex to Mary on Facebook, who thinks she knows more about your condition than you do. Um, And we hope that it can be a juicy bedside chat for those days that you don't have loads of energy and maybe just something to keep you company on the days that you feel all right. And if you're not sick or disabled, don't worry, you can still listen. Turns out capitalism and ableism is screwing us all over. All right, let's get into it. Hey, sick babes. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you today. I spoke to Sashan, um, her pronouns are she and her. She has set up the Womb Room, which is an organisation that aims to kind of educate people with wombs and uteruses about how can they feel more confident in knowing more about their body to advocate for themselves in the health environment, but also to kind of undo some of the shame that we know has um, come over time of living in a patriarchal society, which teaches us that we need to be ashamed of certain genitalia and not advocate for ourselves when needed. So as a bit of a content warning, we do talk about vaginas, vulvas, sex, and go into a little bit of detail at times about um, different things that can happen with your body. So if you don't want to listen to those bits, please feel free to scroll forward. And um, I hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. When you have a chronic illness, obviously at that point, I didn't have a chronic illness. Um but you're very conscious of, oh, I'm using up a lot of services sometimes. And then you feel yeah. bad for accessing them. And I felt bad because I was going to A&E so much. And I was like, this is not a good use of, of NHS resources. Um, and so in the end... So at the, even at that point, you wanted to start a strategy. You're like, excuse me, I'm in excruciating pain, but also <laughs> just want to do evaluation of the resources. And I really don't think this is a good use of it. OK, anyway, do my scan. Basically. <laughs> The amount of times that I was keeping a record of how many times I was going to a and I was like, the amount of times that I've been here, there's no way that this is the most effective way to, to, to handle what I'm going through. And so in the end, I, I went to a hospital in Birmingham, which we shall not name. And I saw a consultant there. And um, when I went into A&E, the consultant who was in charge of the gynecology department that night said that I wasn't her problem she didn't want to see me I was already scheduled to have surgery in Liverpool so I should go back there and see them and I shouldn't waste her time and the only reason she agreed to see me was because the junior doctor who was in the A&E doing triage said if we send her home and she dies I'm not having it on my conscience that we didn't do everything that we could to help her and that was the first time that anybody had said to me oh by the way your condition is so bad or so serious that it could cost you your life if we don't do something about it imminently and up until then I just thought okay it's a fluid-filled cyst like I nobody had really explained the dangers associated with a cyst of that size and the symptoms that I was having so the consultant did see me but she only agreed to see me one because the junior doctor told her and two under the she said that Already she would see brilliant. me if I allowed her to perform an internal examination, even though 
I had all this paperwork from all of my previous hospital visits and an internal examination would not tell you anything new. So I said yes, because I thought if I say yes, she's promised that she'll treat me. She'll help me if I say yes to this. So she said, okay, we're going to do the internal examination. Then she brought in this junior doctor, another junior doctor um, from somewhere and was like, so this doctor's just going to sit in, hope that's okay. You know, if you want to be seen and treated, then um, I'm going to perform the examination and then I'm going to let her do an examination as well. Oh my gosh. It's, this is, it's always the stages of like, you're just handing, you're, you're constantly handing over your body, aren't you? In kind of, yeah. if you want this support, give away your agency. That's the only way that you can do it. When I came out of hospital, um, I think I just didn't really, there was no support. I was having a bit of an identity crisis. I was like questioning, what does womanhood mean? Who's going to love me? I never wanted to have children, but then I was like, oh my gosh, I do want to have children. And then it became this obsession in my mind. Um, and it was just, there was just loads of things that are really difficult to cope with. And so my mom was like, oh, you keep complaining that nothing exists. There's no support services. So why don't you just create one? So then I started blogging about what I was experiencing and a lot of my blogs were really humorous Mm. and so I think that's why people part of the reason people enjoyed them and the women started getting traction because it wasn't all just like doom and gloom it was me kind of reflecting about in a humorous way about all the things that you're going through particularly given that none of my friends could relate we're like 19 everyone's out like drinking at like freshers parties and bar crawls and I'm just like here in a hospital at three o'clock in the morning most of the time we just had very different existence so it was kind of I started the womb room blogging as a way of kind of like coping with it was very cathartic like coping with what I was experiencing and how I felt my identity was changing and then it kind of just blossomed from there yeah. it's been a uh, nine long years I can't believe it's actually been that long <laughs> But it's yeah. amazing. And I think what I love about it is like you said, in terms of you were 19, you had no idea what this thing was and you had no information on it. And I think the womb room is a great way to make it accessible for young people, especially because, you know, I think there's also a thing within hospitals and doctors of them having this myth that young people never get ill or like we've mm. like I'm like where is that potion that every every young person's meant to have drank because I did not get it my subscription <laughs> ended a while ago because as a child as a young person I would go to the doctor and I think it's this and they're like oh, that could never be true like you don't get that until x mm. y z and actually young people now being empowered the kind of information that you share means that they can fight for that especially you know if you've got a womb, it's like there's a lot of misinformation and often people don't know about things like PMDD and even only now are people talking more about fibroids and endometriosis. And so often people are like passed away, not passed away, like Mm. passed off with like information that's not, you know, not, not factual and they have to live with all this pain. So I think, yeah, basically what you're doing, yeah, is really valuable. And I think... Also, I think what I wanted to talk about a little bit with you is actually something that's inspired by TikTok. I mean, TikTok is literally my life right now in in lockdown. (laughs) I'm just laughing at all the TikToks all the time, like saying I'm going to bed at 10 p.m. and staying up till 2 a.m. watching TikToks. And yeah, it's not healthy, but, you know, 
what is right now. Like literally we're just coping. And one of the TikToks that I saw actually was a young um, person talking about vaginal dis- discharge. And I actually found it really inspiring because I think this person was about, um, I think they were probably about 18, 19, and they were just kind of breaking down the myths about vaginal discharge for other young people to hear and um, and be like, this is normal, this is what it might look like at this time in the month and those kind of things. Mm. And it really made me think about, for me, I feel like I'm quite an open person about my body or I don't um, try and be not ashamed in about things um and I think once you've gone through the hospital a few times your relationship with what quote-unquote dignity changes completely doesn't it do you know what I mean once you have said so what what is your journey I guess with shame or things that you try and do to undo shame like in your body or just any experiences you've had around that oh that is a good question um I think in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm very fortunate because my mum worked in um, sexual and reproductive health for a very long time. She set up uh, one of the first mother and baby projects for women who were HIV positive in the country. And so like discussions about your body or sex or relationships were never taboo in my house. There was never anything that was off the table. And so... Also, my nan, very shameless woman. Amazing. <laughs> very shameless. My nan does not know shame. So I think because Tell of that... Tell me more about your nan, please. And we need to think, what's your heritage? Are you... <laughs> so my dad's parents are Jamaican. Um, and my mum's dad is Jamaican, but my grandma is white British. Okay. And um, yeah, she does not know. She doesn't. She doesn't know shame. She never knew shame. Uh, when I was growing up, my grandma she just had no filter, no filter. Even up until like when she was oh, okay. I'll tell you a little story. So <laughs> one time, my mom's friend set up a lingerie company, and she had like a night at her house. You know, you have like an Anne Summers party. So it was kind of like that. So she had this like lingerie party at her house um, for the launch. And my nan was there. And my nan put on this like little, it was like heart cut out with like uh, fur and feathers around it, like bra and knicker set. <laughs> and she was just like parading around the house. And at this point she was probably in her like late 40s she must have been in her maybe even her early 50s right and um, she's just parading around the house and then she puts on those you know those like 1930s classic films and they've got those long silk robes with all the fur around the collar and the trim and she puts that on top and it's like bright red and she's was like oh I wonder if the neighbors want to show so she goes outside on the street and gets on my cousin's scooter and start scootering <laughs> up and down the road in this underwear. Oh. And she did not care at all. She thought it was hilarious. Everyone else she thought it was hilarious. absolutely amazing. She just, she, there was just, shame did not exist. Shame did not, even up until when she was in hospital and she was dying. And um, again, like you lose your dignity because, you know, somebody had to clean her and take care of her. And um she'd always been very independent and so they had a male nurse and one day we were there and she just like had a wash and we'd just come and she turned around and she was like oh 
you've seen my fanny more times than my husband has. <laughs> I was just like, man. <laughs> and everybody else didn't know where to look, but I was just like, that's very typical of my dad. Just no shame. Just saying whatever comes to I my mind. Sex positive man, honestly. <laughs> the kind of role model that sounds like really shaped you. A hundred percent. And so I think I just don't, I don't really have much I don't really feel shame about my body and so I think that was really helpful when I was going through the experience when I was first in hospital and then even the experiences I had you know like having to have my diagnosis of endometriosis and fibroids and polyps and everything else um I just don't really feel ashamed of my body but I also think it's a process of unlearning and relearning the relationship that you have with yourself because my body fluctuates quite a lot so since my first surgery like I really struggle with water retention my weight can fluctuate quite a lot and that can impact how I feel about myself but then I never feel I never feel ashamed of how I look I might not always feel comfortable in my body but I don't ever feel ashamed of my body regardless of how it looks or what is happening at any given time and I think for me it's it, it's a conscious decision to be kind to myself and to not apply additional outside pressure to how I'm already feeling because I know that I'm already struggling with things and it's not going to make me feel better about myself if I sit here like picking myself apart but I think it's one of those things that it's a lot easier said than done and I truly truly believe that it's because there's not a culture of shame that I grew up with like from my mom and my nan and my aunts I think I'm just not really it doesn't really bother me as much it doesn't go to you that's amazing and also the power of what other women can do for us if we have that kind of representation in our lives or or also the impact of those little comments that might be made of like I don't know just about cleanliness a lot I think with yeah with people you know who have um like pubes and discharge and all these different things it's it's often related closely to like being clean which I think maybe people have um fear around um so what would you say I guess to someone who maybe doesn't have didn't have the the kind of upbringing that you had or even those little those little um comments that people might make about their body Mm. do you have any advice about like how do you overcome because obviously I feel like when we were growing up we had that whole thing that went through about like labia labiaplasties and Mm. I mean I feel like we're kind of coming out of it more where people are talking more about there's lots you know lots of different ways that labia and vaginas can look but I feel like that was a big thing when I was I just remember it a lot that I remember watching this documentary when I was like 15 and thinking what like is this something that we need to be worried about now? I never thought yeah. that was something that we needed to be worried about. Um, yeah. So is there anything that you would say to? Um, I think it's a difficult one. I think you have to, first of all, it's understanding if there's something you're experiencing or a particular way that you feel about your body and you recognize that there is a feeling of shame or there is a, behavior or like a pattern that you exhibit which is steeped in shame that you feel about your body or something that's happening to you it's unpacking what is the root cause of that 
like where do where do you feel like that originated from in your life and I like so I go to therapy I recommend therapy for everybody yes I really do um but also therapy is not always accessible to everybody um Mm. but one of the things obviously a lot of the time you talk about in therapy is things that happen in your childhood that then impact how you respond to things or engage with things as an adult and so I think if you if you recognize that shame for you is steeped in things that were taught to you or things you experienced as a child it's sometimes it can be reevaluating the relationships that you have with the people that taught you to feel that way about yourself mm-hmm. sometimes it's it depends on whether you also if it's like matriarchs in your family for example do you have the kind of family dynamic where that's a conversation you could have with them about you know I've been reflecting on xyz and I kind of feel as though certain things that happened when I was younger or things that you might have said had this impact on me because some people do have the kind of family dynamic where they can have that conversation and people will be receptive to that but some people don't so I feel as though if you don't it's also understanding that you have the autonomy and the power to remove yourself from any room where somebody makes you feel uncomfortable about yourself and recognizing your own power is something which it's a process which I think takes a lot of practice because I feel that we're not really socialized to be assertive in the same way that Men are typically Mm. socialised to be assertive or very dominant or just ask for what they want or be very open when they're upset about something or they don't like something that you've done. I don't really think that we're socialised in the same way to use our voice in the same way to tell people when they do something that makes us feel uncomfortable. And so I think it's as you're starting to get older, recognising that you have the power and the autonomy to do that and taking the steps and also not feeling bad if you don't reinforce that that your boundary with somebody is that you don't appreciate being spoken to in that way or you don't appreciate that comment and that could be from anybody because sometimes the comments that make you feel ashamed will come from your doctor they're not always people who are in your family they're not always your friends sometimes it's other professionals that you see when you're seeking help so I think it's it's for me it's a process of not allowing other people to shame you and then unpacking where your shame comes from originally and trying to work on that and I think as well it's really important to find find other people that you connect with who are a positive influence in your life and that could be people that you find online it could be literally through podcasts that you listen to like exposing yourself to new things that help you deal with how you feel about the things that you feel ashamed about and why and connecting with people who can positively reinforce like new habits or new behaviors or new ways of thinking and new practices in your life is really really important yeah really powerful I think actually the the amount of um influence that just having having people talk about things without that air of embarrassment or whispering oh yeah the vagina <laughs> do you know what I mean oh this kind of culture of not talking about mm. bodies in that way means that actually it feeds into how we relate to ourselves when we are unwell as well 
Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because I think it's like there's so many people who are having really painful periods or they're having, you know, they're putting on unexplained weight and they cut and then and then they, they're kind of in a way gaslighting themselves and thinking I shouldn't be worried about this. I shouldn't be worried about that or not going to the doctors to have it because they 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 imagine this catastrophe of what it's going to be like when they have to you know, show parts of their body. And obviously we have it with the whole cervical cancer screening that so many people don't go because there's like, I've heard people say they're not going because they they haven't shaved. And so they have to wait until they've shaved until they can go to the, the doctor to have these things. So it's like, whoa, like it's actually affecting our health in that way mm-hmm. as well. So having that de-shaming ourselves around our body is really, really important and has such a, a long lasting impact in so many ways. And I feel like, um everyone should go and follow is it at the womb room on instagram yeah yeah it is so yeah so and i think having information like what you share really helped me be able to advocate for myself in a way that i wouldn't have if if i didn't have that info i think surrounding ourselves with more information like that with people who don't who talk about it confidently really helps us in more ways than we know um i was in a meeting the other day and somebody you know quite quite um casually and confidently said oh yeah my herpes are playing up because I'm really stressed um mm. they were talking about um herpes on the mouth but I think even saying the word herpes and for people who have genital yeah. herpes it's like a thing you know it's such a stigma and a shame around that that I think the more that people just talk about it it's, it's it helps us feel Definitely. like it's help as well Definitely I think as well like to go back to something else that you were saying I think we really underestimate how the culture that we have around diet and around body modification and around the conversation and the narrative around your body should look a particular way um and even who that is who that is for is it for you is it for other people in society is it for your partner is we don't understand or we don't always openly recognise the knock-on effect that that then has on how you manage other aspects of your health. Also, again, it's like all these intersections, capitalism, access to resources. If, mm. if I only have Vaseline to clean, to cream my face, then that's all I've got to cream my face. You know what I mean? <laughs> and Vaseline so didn't even know how all these years. So, you know, <laughs> I, I know we're going to get loads of people being like, don't cream your face with Vaseline. But what I'm trying to say is the fact of, you know, we don't, not everybody has the same access to resources, do they? And, yeah. uh, and especially particular bodies are put under more pressure to groom and change and all these different things. Do you have any practical tips about having sex when you've got endometriosis? Uh, Practical tips. Um, I think sometimes it can be difficult when you have endo to track your periods so I always recommend people track their periods because it helps you also track your symptoms so you start to notice patterns in your body over time um I track my cycle but at the moment I recently had a diagnosis of subclinical hypothyroidism and my consultant said like I'm not ovulating so I have been having a period every two weeks and I was like oh that's kind of weird why is that happening and it's because I'm not ovulating so I'm not getting enough progesterone it's not keeping the line of my womb intact um 
so that also makes like sex really difficult because I don't know how long I'm going to bleed for, what the bleeding is going to be like. Will it be heavy? Will it be light? Um, but I think if you're conscious or you're aware of like what typically works for your body, what's going on with your body, that's a good starting point because you will know how best to prepare if you're having mm-hmm. sex. I mean, sex, you also don't always want to be like having to do deep preparation. Sometimes it's the spontaneity is the yeah. fun of it. It's not every day. Let me make a note in my diary Friday <laughs> at six o'clock. But um, I think things that you said, like making sure that if you know that bleeding is something that could happen for you, like having clean sheets ready or having a towel, um, having things like I swear by magnesium spray Ooh. I love it it's absolutely fantastic like you just spray it on your pelvic area or even on your joints if you've got like joint pain and it really helps that if you're having discomfort it works almost instantaneously um and you can get like magnesium oil as well that you can kind of like rub in so if you do start having discomfort even like things like uh some ibuprofen ibuprofen yeah, yeah. I'm so imagining the, like this now like I feel like we need to make like some sort of romantic scene where for like you know people with pain and you like get out the magnesium oil and put on some candles <laughs> and do some massaging I mean why not do you know what exactly I mean? like, <laughs> these are all things that will make your, your experience more pleasurable and enjoyable and also serve very practical uh practical purposes as well for your life because they'll help make you more comfortable physically I think that's really important and I think also understanding like you said like what are the positions that work best for you because some things are going to be really uncomfortable or really painful depending on like your partner the position that you're in um how long your cervix is so typical cervix is about four or five inches so depending on whether you're using like toys or whatever it might be it could be really uncomfortable in certain positions if they're very like deep penetrating positions so doing things, finding out over time the things that work best for your body and prioritising those. Because I think as well, sometimes when you're having sex, you're so conscious about what your body is doing and how you look that you're not actually present in the moment. So you're not really enjoying it. It's, it can become very performative, particularly mm. if you have a chronic illness. And so I think it's really important to like take a step back from yourself make yourself feel as comfortable as possible and work out what works for your body. And also to be really confident in communicating what works for your body for your partner, because anybody who really cares about you and has your best interests at heart is going to take that into consideration and they will consciously and proactively do the things which bring you pleasure because it's a process of give and take and it has to be mutually beneficial. So communicating your needs and that doesn't always have to be verbally it could be in whatever way you feel comfortable some people would prefer to like write it down in a letter or a text or a a whatsapp message or whatever so working out what method of communication works best for you to communicate what you like or what you don't like and also not being afraid to say like if you're in pain or you're in discomfort in the moment just saying like I think I need a minute to like stop I think sometimes we worry about, oh my gosh, it's going to kill the mood if I say that. But it's like, yeah. kill the mood or alternatively, 
be in like searing pain for the next three days this is it isn't it and I think I saw this like meme once where it was like all these different types of sex these things that happen in sex that we don't see in like porn representation where it's like when you have to take a break or someone gets thirsty or like you know what I mean or you go and I don't know there's lots you fall off the bed <laughs> just all these silly things that can happen in sex that we don't see the representation of and I think mm. as someone and people with chronic illnesses it's like we've internalized the idea of like, oh, I'm being difficult and not doing it like the movies because I've got to yeah. stop or I've got to whatever. And like you said, also pain for us might mean something like very different than just the usual pain that people might get, get in sex, which it might be like, oh, it's a little bit of discomfort, but it could mean that like it's exacerbating something or or, or et cetera. So listening to your body is is really important and also when you were talking about you know exploring different positions that work for you that's like kind of exciting for you know I think we we sit we think about all the sometimes negative things quote unquote that come with having any illness but how amazing is it to be like actually I need to explore all these different things yeah so that we have to, we have to do this so it's part of actually making it spicy in the bedroom so, so we, we've got to explore these different things so it, it's actually a benefit dating someone like me I think that that's that's what I think um, this person <laughs> yeah, exactly this person can go with and our bodies like you know bodies are quote-unquote gross aren't they in loads of different ways and I think it's all again undoing the myth that we've got this like perfect pristine body that smells like you know linen and clouds or whatever it is Mm. and actually there's loads of different things that come about out of your body and your body makes loads of different noises and I think when we think about it like that this is just one of the other things that some people's bodies do. Sashan thank you so much for chatting with me today I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, No thank you for having me. Yeah, I think it's really great. It's making me really, it's making me feel really like inspired and empowered about bodies and just even talking about it with you in this way, open way, it's really, really amazing. Yeah, well, that was great. I think when we think about healthcare, it's important to remember that so much of it is not created equal and a lot of things that are influenced by patriarchy and misogyny and lots of these systems of oppression mean that it has a direct impact on how we relate to our bodies and the shame that we carry about certain areas of our bodies because of how society has taught us that we need to relate to them. And so I really love the work that Sashan is doing at the womb room because it is challenging all of those stigmas and the shame. And just even in conversation with each other, it's important that we can say these things and be open and and encourage ourselves to question why we think certain things about certain aspects of health. Um, So if you want to find out more about Sashan's work, please check the link in the description that we've put at the womb room. And I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation today as much as I did. Sick Babe was produced by She Wants a Dog, supported by Contact Theatre and Arts Council England. Sound designed by the amazing Eliana Evans. Follow us on Insta at Sick Babe Pod for more information.